Welcome, everyone. This is Ruscalzo Chronicles the End Times. How are you today? It's good to have you with us as we look at Chapter 11 of the Book of Revelation. And I just want to take a minute to thank all those um, who this past weekend downloaded Hidden Thrones, Book 1. I ran a special on Amazon for 99 cents and be running another one come March 22nd. So look out for that. And Book 2 will be released at the end of this weekend. And that is called Open Warfare, Book 2 of Hidden Thrones. So thank you so much. I hope you're being blessed by it as we learn more about spiritual warfare in this new series. So let's move on to chapter 11. And we pick up where the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to John about measuring the temple and about the two prophets that are to come. So let's begin by reading the first couple of verses. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar. Count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for forty-two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. So we look at these first three verses, and the Lord is telling John in this vision and in this spirit to go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. So we know this is a vision of the future because in John's time when he's writing this, uh, most believe it was around uh, 90 A.D., when this was written, somewhere in that vicinity. But we know in 70 AD that the temple was destroyed, and we've talked about that in the past, and how it got burnt down to the ground, and how the prophecy that Jesus spoke of in Matthew, where he told them that not one stone would be left upon another, uh, became fulfilled when the fire ravaged the temple, and all the gold from the ceiling and the roof, and all the ornate fixtures the gold ran down in between the large stones so much so that they removed all the stones and the romans scraped all the gold and people scraped all the gold that was that had run down between the the stones and so jesus a prophecy was completely fulfilled that not one stone would be left upon another so at this time of the writing of the book of Revelation and the time of this vision that John is given on the Isle of Patmos, there is no temple. So this is truly a vision given, a spiritual vision given to John of the future. So he's told in this this spirit to go and measure the altar and count the worshipers there. Then he's told to exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given over to the Gentiles. It doesn't tell us the number. Because the number is not important that John counted. But what's more important is the act of counting them. So the God is saying, you know, I care about each single person there. Because these represent true Israel. And the outer court and those that are going to follow the Antichrist and follow the false Messiah, don't bother counting those. They're mixed in with the Gentiles. He's only concerned about the elect those that he has chosen, those that'll 
go and escape into the wilderness. God gave a warning to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 13 a long time ago about this. And he says, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let us go follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart, with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must serve. Keep his commandments and obey him, serve him, and hold fast to him. So this is the warning in Deuteronomy chapter 13. And it's a prophetic utterance, not only about how Israel should act through the years as they follow Christ, but this is a prophetic utterance of the future and the testing that's going to go on during the tribulation period. So God is going to keep his promises to Israel, just like he keeps every promise that he ever gives. He's not like you and me, that we don't keep promises sometimes. God keeps promises always. And so he will have his elect. He will have Israel. All Israel will be saved. All those that call upon the Lord during this period of time. So now let's move on. Now we have this scene is painted. We know we're in the last days now. We know that, you know, this is a futuristic vision of what John is seeing down the line in the new rebuilt temple and the new current Israel as he's seeing it years down the line. And now we move to these two witnesses. Now, these two witnesses, a lot of speculation about who these two witnesses will be. So let's take a little look at that. So we look at verse 3. It says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Wow, what kind of power God has given to these two prophets. Now, there's a lot of speculation, as we said, to who these people are. Uh, there are those that feel that is Elijah and Moses, because they both had power like this over all of nature. God used them to stop rain, to bring plagues. Now, this may be true. Some believe one of them is Enoch, because Enoch and Elijah never really died. They were both taken up. Elijah was taken up in a fiery chariot, and Enoch was just raptured. He was just taken. The scripture says that he walked with God, then he was not which is pretty cool. I think it's also a type of the rapture of the church, the faithful of God, because Enoch was taken before the flood came, years before the flood came. And so many believe that that is a parallel to the church, in which, you know, I agree. You know, God gives us all these little hints and these little parallels and types through the whole Bible. They're very interesting to study. But how about this? You know, 
that when Jesus came the first time, let's think about this, they were looking for Elijah, right? Israel's still looking for Elijah as he's prophesied to come before the coming of the Lord. But Jesus told the followers that indeed Elijah had already come. Who was he talking about? He was talking about John the Baptist. So here the spirit of Elijah and the prophecies about this prophet were fulfilled in John the Baptist. So if we take that premise from Jesus' first coming and we apply it to the second coming, then it could be two separate men, two separate prophets that God gives this power to that in fact have the mantle or the anointing of Moses and Elijah. And so we don't really know who these men will be for sure, but God gives them incredible power. There's a scripture that parallels what we just read in Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. He talks about these two olive trees that stand before the Lord, that, you know, olive trees representing olive oil, you know, which represents the oil, the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God. And so these two men stand before the Lord and they get used mightily of the Lord. And it talks about that in Zechariah chapter 4. Now we launch forward into um, Revelation and he uses the same terminology. So it's very interesting to see how the Old Testament and the New Testament line up like this. Very, very powerful. So let's go on and look at this. So now these two olive trees, these two lampstands that we talked about from Zechariah chapter 4 and described here in the same verse, chapter 4 in uh, chapter 11 of Revelation, these two anointed men have the ability to do anything they want, basically, to the people of the earth. Because They're not acting in the flesh or out of their own desires to see uh, vengeance or whatever or payback. They're so anointed that they're doing the work of God only. So they're not going to just do anything arbitrarily. They're doing things inspired by the Spirit of God. And so on top of all the plagues that we have seen and we will see in this study, you have to add to that whatever plagues that aren't defined, additional plagues that these two prophets may pull down upon this upon this earth. You know, so it's amazing devastation through this period of time. Uh, I have a new study to be released next week on Amazon on just simply called Why I Believe in the Rapture. It's only 60 pages, but it really goes into a lot of uh, reasons common sense reasons as we read the word of God uh, for why the church is not going to go through this uh, terrible time of God's wrath and vengeance upon the earth. So these men are not going to be friends of the Antichrist, right? I mean, that's really kind of obvious. And they're not going to be adored, liked, or put up with by the population of the earth. The whole population of the earth hates these two men because they blame them for the plagues because they're calling down these plagues and all this hardship rather than looking in the mirror and saying, hmm, I wonder if this could be 
from my actions. You know, all this, the results of what I've done is pull down the wrath of God on my own life. I know we can look at that, right, parallel today. How many of us, you know, we want to blame God, point the finger at God, curse God or whatever, or decide you want to believe in you and, you know, you don't care and you're an awful person and, you know, if you exist, I don't want anything to do with you. Lots of times we hear that, we hear a lot of people talking about that. But in reality, God is perfect and we're not. And so we need to look in the mirror, right? If we're going to get better, we need to look in the mirror. When things happen to us, we have two choices, right? We can get bitter or we can get better. And I hope that you and I will get better as we go through these things, trusting the Lord, knowing he knows what's going on and he knows what's best for us. But here in this time, the people want to follow the Antichrist. They want what they want. They want all their lusts fulfilled. They are not interested in any kind of self-control or anything God has to say. And they're not interested in their prophet, his prophets as well. So what happens is you put yourself in this situation. Here's these two prophets. They're hated by the world. And then every time somebody tries to attack them, they're able to call fire down from heaven. I mean, this is like they're invincible. At this point in time, the Antichrist just is, just wants to get rid of them so bad, but he's not able to touch them because God is not allowing him to touch him. And so now we see this appointed time comes as we look at these next few verses because in verse 7 the scripture tells us that when they finish their testimony the beast that comes up from the abyss okay so the antichrist will attack them and overpower them and kill them okay so up to this point he hasn't been able to do that they're done giving their testimony they're done preaching about repentance finish their work upon this earth and now Their dead bodies lie in the street. Now, what street are they lying in? Well, the scripture tells us their bodies lay in the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. So that makes it real plain, right? We know where the Lord was crucified, obviously. He was crucified in Jerusalem. And so this is what the state of Israel and and, uh, Jerusalem is at this point in time. He's comparing them to Sodom, which means all kinds of sexual sins are going on, all kinds of rebellion is going on. He compares them to Egypt, which is a type of the world, right? So this is completely given over to the world's uh, nature, to the sinful nature, to lust and greed and all kinds of stuff is going on. It's the perfect formula for the Antichrist to flourish in. So after three and a half days of these men lying dead, you know, possibly beheaded, we we don't know, their bodies are lying in the street, gunned down, however they were killed, and the nation just looks at them. You know, you can just cover it on CNN or whatever the news media is at that time. And all over the world, we're seeing it on, you know, they're seeing it on their phones and their tablets and their televisions, these bodies laying there. And what do the inhabitants of the earth do? They gloat over them. So much so that they celebrate by giving each other gifts. It's like their new Christmas. You know, they're not going to celebrate Christmas, that's for sure, at this point in time in the world. So they celebrate this new thing they're created. And they send each other gifts because the two prophets that tormented them, and brought all this hardship on them, uh, are dead. So they're rejoicing, they're feasting, 
And so after three and a half days, all of a sudden, live right there on camera to all the world to see, breath of life comes back into these two men from God. And they stand to their feet. And the scripture tells us in verse 11 that terror, just absolute fear, comes over these people. Those that see them on TV, they're shocked. Here are these two men that they've just been rejoicing over. They're finally dead and out of their lives, are now back to life. And all of a sudden, they hear a voice from heaven. And a voice says, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapses. A tenth of the city of Jerusalem just collapses. And the scripture tells us that 7,000 people are killed in this earthquake. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, this is the last time you're going to see that phrase in the book of Revelation, where the survivors that were terrified gave glory to God. We'll look further down the line in Revelation chapter 16, three different times the population of the earth curse God, basically tell God, get out of their lives. They don't not interested in him and they curse his name because of all the plagues that come upon them. So you can see there's a shift, you know, as it goes on, the people are shifting. Those that are fear the Lord, those that say, man, we what the heck happened here? We made a terrible mistake and they repent. This is the probably towards the end of that. Because from here on out, the people's hearts get harder and harder. And the scripture tells us that the second woe is past. And the third woe is coming. And the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on the thrones fell before God and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then the temple in heaven was opened. Within its temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Wow. There's a moment here now where these two prophets have been killed and now raised to life and come up, up into heaven. The pages are beginning to turn. Now heaven is beginning to rejoice because they see down the line, very close now, God is about to take back the earth. He's about to come back and take what is his. And I think it's very interesting that God puts that phrase in there in verse 18. He says, for those who had destroyed the earth, he's going to come back and destroy those who destroy the earth. 
God is the first environmentalist. This is his place. He made this. Let's put ourselves in that position if we possibly can and say, you know, God made all this beautiful and we've destroyed it through the years. But now in this time of the tribulation period, the Antichrist and the armies of the world have completely destroyed the earth and have caused God to pour his wrath out on the people. So it's mankind's fault because of their sin and their disobedience and because of the depth of their sin, God has to pour his wrath on the earth and all nature suffers because of it. So he's coming back not only to reward those who follow him, but he's coming back to destroy those who have destroyed his creation because of greed, because of lust, because of envy. Very, very powerful moment in Revelation chapter 11. And then we will move on to chapter 12 in the book of Revelation. And that is one of my favorite chapters. It has some key information And we need to interpret chapter 12 properly. And if we do, we'll have a great understanding of the whole book and what God is doing in the last days. So God bless. Thank you for being with me today. Until next time, keep looking up. The King is coming.